0: This is Inspiring Minds, a podcast focused on thought-provoking conversations between VSB students and our world-class faculty.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Will Sebaugh, a outgoing senior here at VSB, and I'm with Doctors Christopher Kilby
0: and Erasmus Kirsting. I am Erasmus Kersting. Uh, I am an associate professor at Villanova School of Business in the Department of Economics. And I'm Christopher Kilby, Professor of Economics, also here at
1: VSB. And we're here today to talk about their research regarding the World Bank lending and how it affects, how it pertains to um, elections in aid-receiving countries. So before we go uh, more in-depth in your papers, professors, um, I would like you to give a little bit of background to the listeners in terms of what exactly is uh, this concept of electioneering.
0: So electioneering would be the attempt to influence the democratic process. Within one country, one could imagine politicians spending on public programs, particularly right before an election, in order to sway voters. But in our context, we can also imagine it to be international, where actually a powerful country or a multinational institution would try to influence elections in other countries.
1: Reading your paper definitely was very impressive on, you know, how many different types of models that you guys, you know, went through, as as a different like robustness testing, so I don't know if you wanted to kind of elaborate on, maybe for those who haven't quite read the paper yet, um, exactly how you went from, I guess, point A to B
0: to C. We average a number of variables over a time frame before a competitive executive election. So the idea is that we are trying to find out whether loans were accelerated or slowed down, because our interpretation of that would be electioneering. Strings were pulled and the World Bank is dispersing their funds either faster or slower. And so in order to do that, we're counting the number of months that it takes each project to disperse 25 percent of its committed amount. We then show that this measure of speed, this number of months, gets smaller for countries that are favored by the US, so funds are being accelerated. So
2: this measure of speed, you can think about sort of like how many seconds does it take a car to cover a quarter mile? Therefore, the smaller the number, the faster the speed. So the fewer months it takes to reach 25% of the funds dispersed, the faster the disbursement is going on.
0: Right, and the second model looks at commitments. So it basically looks at whether a country is more likely to receive a new loan if it is before an election. So, driven by a slightly different theory, not so much that the World Bank provides just more money to fill the war chest of an incumbent government that tries to get re-elected, but instead provides positive signals, basically, that a ruler of a country would say to, to their electorate, I am in good standing with the international community, I just received a new loan from the World Bank and therefore vote for me. However, We find less evidence actually of that happening in terms of the uh, electioneering and
1: then regarding the um,
0: robustness testing
1: in your paper, I don't know if you wanted to discuss some of the alternate means of identifying U.S. alignment, um, also to go, go more in depth uh, with your basic specification in terms of, you know, how exactly did you measure a certain country's voting alignment with, with U.S. government? I know you discussed a couple different measures for that, so I don't know if you wanted to, A, go into how you defined alignment with, with U.S. policy, and then also go a little more into your last section in your paper We you discussed different robustness testings.
0: So yes, the question of how we measure whether a country is friendly with the U.S. or not is, of course, quite central. One commonly used measure that we also use in our paper is often referred to as UN alignment. And by that, we mean the extent to which a country that votes in the General Assembly of the United Nations with the U.S. And so in other words, we, one looks at whether they cast the votes exactly the same way as the U.S. does on important questions. What is nice about this is that the US is friendly enough to actually publicize which votes they consider particularly important. So if you're a country that is small and would like to rise in the favor of the United States, say, you know which questions you would want to vote with the US with. So mathematically, one literally looks at the voting data and measures sort of the, the uh, degree of alignment. And then, of course, a nation is not always equally aligned with the US over time. So, of course, we also take into account the fact that it has to be the correctly timed alignment for this decision whether or not to accelerate loans to a particular country. So we're looking at that exact time window. There are a couple of interesting stories, I guess, related to this. Um,
2: One is where this list of important votes came from. In the early 1980s, the Heritage Institute was lobbying in Congress that the U.S. wasn't getting anything for its foreign aid. And one way they tried to identify that was looking at voting alignment in the U.N. And they found that countries that voted against the U.S. actually got more U.S. aid than countries that voted with the U.S., and they made a big stink about this. And the upshot was that the Congress passed a law requiring the State Department every year to publish a report that reported on UN votes and more or less had to justify what was going on with foreign aid and UN votes. And so the uh, State Department then revealed that they had a list of votes that they considered important and that they lobby on. That constitutes about 10% of overall votes. And it turns out that if you look at those votes, the countries that vote with the US there do get more foreign aid, and the countries that vote against the US on those important votes get less foreign aid. And in this paper, what we find is it doesn't matter which of all these different types of UN votes we use, the ones that the State Department thinks are important, or in fact, the votes that the State Department thinks aren't important, we get the same results. And so that illustrates exactly what you would expect, that this is not about trying to buy votes in the UN. Instead, it's about identifying which governments are like the U.S., are sympathetic to the U.S. position, and therefore the U.S. would like to keep those governments in power.
1: As you guys were talking about in your paper, there obviously was evidence of electioneering by, uh, by the World Bank. So and I, I recall reading in your paper, um, you guys discussed like, the various implications of what that would entail, of uh, this conflict of interest, with the, the World Bank's mission statement. So I was wondering if you wanted to add to on the various implications of the, the results of this.
0: We do think that these results are potentially alarming in in certain ways. For for one, they speak to the credibility of the World Bank in general whenever it gives policy advice. If the world sees the World Bank to be under the sway of a particular powerful donor, especially the United States, that might mean that messages, good messages, valid messages that the World Bank has might not get heeded and uh, people might think that those are just U.S. foreign policy uh, advice going sort of through different routes, and that is certainly something that the World Bank should try to avoid at all costs. The loss of credibility
2: is important in terms of the governments that might borrow from the World Bank and how willing they are to borrow, how willing they are to follow the advice of the World Bank. It's also quite important in terms of thinking about World Bank lending as being a signal to private capital markets. There's a lot of discussion in the literature, and the World Bank itself promotes this as a benefit of World Bank lending that by, in some sense, giving a good housekeeping seal of approval to a government by lending to it, the World Bank signals to private investors, whether we're talking about foreign direct investment or uh, lending to governments or or other uh, methods of providing capital, that the World Bank is providing a signal that it's a good place to invest. The more that the World Bank's signal is really perceived as a political one, namely that the government of the country is uh, favored by the U.S. government or favored by a member of the G7 or something, that means it's less of a good signal to capital markets, and therefore we can expect the World Bank's ability to act as a catalyst to drive private investment is undermined. So those are important reasons, both in terms of the borrowing government heeding the advice of the World Bank, but also in terms of private capital markets actually paying attention To what it is the World Bank is doing. Those are important reasons why political influence like electioneering is particularly important.
1: I guess taking this one step further, I don't know if you thought or if you had any input on if there is an easy solution to address uh, the various concerns brought up uh, in your paper regarding
0: electioneering and the World Bank. Not necessarily an easy solution, but one thing that uh, I wasn't quite aware of, but which apparently exists, is a debate on where the World Bank is. It's not a given that something like the World Bank has to be located in Washington, D.C. Seen in this light, it might very well be beneficial if the World Bank uh, had chosen a different country uh, as its headquarters, right? and maybe there could still be efforts underway to sort of move in that direction. Of course, you then really do wonder right, what will happen to U.S. funding and support for this institution if it were, say, to be headquartered in Brazil or, or Mexico or Asia but there is no good reason really why it shouldn't. One of the fundamental issues is really a question
2: about a short-term versus long-term trade-off. When the U.S. decides to put pressure on the World Bank to engage in global electioneering or in any of the other many different uh, patterns that have been identified where the U.S. exerts influence over the World Bank, it's usually to accomplish a short-term goal that the U.S. administration has. And the administration may well understand that this in the long run is undermining the independence and therefore the usefulness of the World Bank. But it has its short-term goal that it wants to accomplish and perhaps it has a Congress that's not willing to allow the administration to use something else, say direct aid to a country. So instead the administration puts pressure on the World Bank to accomplish its goal that way. In the long run we know that it would be better if The U.S. weren't doing that because then the reputation of um, an international organization would be better. It would serve better as a signal to capital markets, and certainly most American administrations believe that ultimately it's the markets that should be allocating these resources. Uh, So all of that is about a short-term, long-term trade-off. I guess this is a, a common theme when we look at certainly American politics, but probably most politics, that the political process favors short-term decisions over long-term. So, in a sense, getting back to your question, is there an easy fix? The answer, I think, is no, because we will continue to face short-term solutions that come at long-term costs, and our political system favors that. Dr.
1: Kirstein, Dr. Kilby, I wanna thank you very much for your time discussing your research, and I wanna thank Villanova for allotting us this time to discuss your paper. And thank you very much.
0: It was our pleasure. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Minds. Stay tuned for our next installment featuring more VSP students discussing research topics with our world-class faculty.